everyone comes to advisors and they're planning to die. I need my kids to have this when I die. I need my wife to have this when I die. This is what I want to see happen when I die. What if we started every appointment with, let me tell you why I'm here, because we should be planning to live and not planning to die. Welcome to the Next Level Advisor. On this week's episode, estate planning lawyer Stephanie Prestridge talks about the importance of the estate planning lawyer and advisor working together for the benefit of their clients. In addition, she outlines the ways in which she promotes transparency and collaboration in her own practice. Enjoy. First of all, welcome uh, Stephanie Prestridge to the Next Level Advisor. And I can't tell you, number one, Stephanie, how excited I am. I've been really excited about having this conversation with you. For all of the people out there that are listening, Stephanie is going to be an extension, really, one of the newest strategic partnerships that we're engaging. I'll let Stephanie talk about her background a little bit and what and what she does. She's, she's a, an estate planning attorney in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and is going to be an incredible resource, I think, for our entire distribution. And it has a lot of really unique ways that she looks at her practice and how she works with clients and financial advisors. And we're going to talk all about that today. But I can't tell you, number one, I mean, just thrilled, Stephanie, to have this discussion. There's a lot of times where you engage people, you have conversations in this business. And I think we talked about this the first time we connected where um, culturally, when you meet someone and you just feel like, okay, these are the people that you'd want to be, you know, having a cup of coffee with in your living room and spending a lot of time with, uh, that's how we feel. So we're, we're thrilled. We, I can't thank you enough for being here, Stephanie. And um, maybe if you just take a few minutes and just let the listeners know a little bit about your background. And then I, I, I think that's important. And then I'll get into the two truths and a lie. I know that's always the first thing that people want to hear about, but Maybe give um, give the listeners a little bit of uh, information about your background. So I am an estate planning attorney in Louisiana. I went to law school at Loyola University in New Orleans, and, and I got all the gold stars and awards that you're supposed to get. I graduated at the top of my class. Um, I went to school at night and worked full time during the day. So now that I look back on that, I have no idea how I did that, but it, it made me a better person and a better lawyer. I think the work ethic and, and I had a working knowledge, not only of, of the law, but also the practice of law because I worked during law school. I got a great job straight out of law school doing maritime defense and international trade. So I was just, you know, ruling the world, as they would say. And I'll never forget, I, I got a call while I'm sitting in my very nice office with a window, you know, a wall of windows looking out at the Mississippi River. And my grandmother called me in the middle of the day to tell me that my papa had received a, a Parkinson's diagnosis and he also had um, the, the beginning stages of dementia and and they knew it was going to be a long haul. And she said, what are we going to do? And and she called me because, you know, I'm the lawyer. I'm supposed to know. I was the first person to go get that extra degree after college. And I didn't have a clue. I, I, I didn't know the difference between Medicare and Medicaid. I, I didn't I didn't know anything other than the basics that I'd learned in law school. And that wasn't enough. And 
I remember telling her, you know, call mom, you know, my, my mom's a nurse. She'll tell you which facilities to look at, how to assess the cost and, and what to, you know, what to look for, for best sheets, best nurses, best meal plan. And my, my mama, um, she really put me in my place and, and she was, she was tough. She is tough. She's brilliant, tough, ran, ran, you know, military officers. And she told me very clearly, she said, I didn't ask you where we go. I asked you, what are we going to do? What about our home? What about our life savings? What about everything that we intended for our children? What are we going to do? And, and that was really life altering for me because on the day that it mattered most to the people who mattered most, I didn't have a clue. And none of those gold stars meant anything. It didn't matter where I graduated in my class. It didn't matter that I had a wall full of awards reminding me how great I am. None of it mattered. So I ultimately moved home to help take care of them. And thank God was smart enough to know that I didn't know how to help them. So I drove their attorney crazy to the point that he gave me a job. And I, I started working estate planning cases. And I never had any intention on becoming an estate planning attorney. Um, and I learned a lot at that job. Um, and we had... My boss was very, very smart, very capable, but we had a different perspective because I came in first as a family member and not as a lawyer. And it changed how I approached my cases, how I approached my clients and their team, because I learned very quickly that the people that my grandmother already knew, her CPA, her advisor, those were her people and she was comfortable and confident there. And estate planning causes you to assess those relationships and those assets. And, and as a lawyer to come in and say, I understand all of these things and I need you to make some changes without having those team members at the table, it's frightening and it's overwhelming. And it was just, it was different. I started my practice different where I wanted those relationships. I wanted those people at the table with me. And ultimately I left to create my own firm and our principle, our premise that we still don't stray from today is that we won't take a client unless they have an advisor. And if they don't have an advisor, they have to agree that we talk to someone to make sure that, that you have enough money to live, but that whatever we plan to have happen when you pass, that it works with what you have. Um, and it has been a beautiful experience. That's probably the most important part of my, you know, my education and, and experience. On top of that, I'm a mother. I am married to my best friend, who is the best attorney I have ever met. Uh, Michael is, I don't have enough good things to say about my husband. And I am the luckiest woman that I get to be his wife, the mother of his children and his partner, because he is hands down the smartest attorney I've ever met. And it's not just because he's mine. He is truly brilliant. Um, and then we have two children, uh, Ava Grace, who's going to take over the world someday, and Mason, who's um, going to take over his sister someday, I think. Um, they are just amazing kids. So I am 
I love what I do and I'm the luckiest girl in the world. The most important part of these types of relationships for us as a firm that we're offering to our distribution is to know and understand the people that we work with, right? And so not everybody takes the approach that you take, uh, that you took to get into the business, right? The personal story about your papa and your, and, and, and your mama and your, and that the whole way that you kind of evolved into this place from a, the practice of law, this speaks to who you are as a person. We, we learn a lot about you just by you explaining your background in your business and how you got to where you are today and into your law practice today. But I would, I would love to, just for the perspective of having some fun, give us three things about yourself. And at the end, I'm going to try to pick what I think is the, the lie out of the three things. Okay. I am the shortest person in my family. I made all A's in law school. And I am always room mom for my children's classes. So this is easy. So I think I already know, but I'm not, I, we'll get to that at the end. Oh, no, no, see that you got it. You got to throw it out there because I bet you're wrong. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it until the end. No, no, we're going to wait till the end. So what I have is the shortest person in her family, all A's in law school and the room mom for all her children's classes. So those are the, that's what we have. So we'll get to that at the end of the conversation, but I, I really want to get into this conversation around collaborative planning, Stephanie, because, you know, when we set out as a firm to build this, you know, our industry, the insurance industry has always been much more of a hammer looking for a nail. It's much more product driven. And, you know, we, we want to be able to deliver resources to the financial advisor that, that, will, that will transcend any discussion around product, right? This is all about, can I, can I give you resources to help you plan for your clients better, right? Are those relationships and resources? And I think it all starts with collaboration. And you, you know, maybe you can take us a little bit further into this mindset of, number one, I, I don't know that I've ever had a conversation with an attorney that requires her clients, to, their clients to have a financial advisor. That, that's certainly something that I think is very unique. Maybe expand on that a little bit. Talk about the collaborative environment that you, that you, uh, try to work in with, with your clients and how that looks for the advisor, maybe for the other uh, um, uh, professionals that are at the table, like the CPA or, or what have you. So maybe talk a little bit, take that a step further about collaboration and what that actually means to you. So I'm, I'm going to point out a, a couple of things with that. And, and the first thing that I would note is, is when you first started speaking, you talked about how you're always trying to provide resources to advisors and to have, to have the good tools to, to present to their clients. And I, I'm going to tell you something that I tell all of my lawyers and all of my staff in, in my firm is that the clients never bought my products. The clients never bought a trust from me. They never bought a will from me. They never bought um, a life insurance policy from me. The first thing my clients bought was me. And, and I, I had a lawyer that worked for me years ago that, oh, I loved him, still love him, wonderful. He's now doing a great job with the state of Louisiana. But um, he was very uncomfortable with that concept because I, I told him, I said, you're not selling an estate plan. You're not selling a product. They have to buy you. And, and I, I stand by that because in the end, whatever you're doing, whether it's estate planning, whether it's life insurance planning, whether it's financial planning, those are some of the most intimate details of someone's life, right? because you're going to talk about their money, their goals, their kids, their worries, all of that. 
And, and if they don't buy you, if they don't think that you're the person who hears them, that you're the person who can lift them and encourage them and, and give them courage and strength, then, then it doesn't matter what amazing resources you have. It doesn't matter how good that life policy is. It doesn't matter how awesome my trust is. If they don't buy me, then I can't help them. So that, that resource that should be offered is, is reminding someone to just be them, to own the good and the bad about themselves. And I can tell you, you know, I can look in the mirror and say, I know exactly where my strengths lie and I know exactly where my weaknesses are. And, and I acknowledge them up front with my clients. And one of my weaknesses is that I have to have a team. I have to, because I'm really good at what I do and I believe in it and I love it, but I don't know how to invest your money. And I have good opinions, but I can't give them to you. And it doesn't matter how great my legal documents are. It doesn't matter how beautifully I package it or how many pieces of paper I use. If you don't have enough money to live, it doesn't matter what you want to have happen when you die. And, and I'd point out that everyone comes to advisors and a lot of times, particularly insurance advisors, and they're planning to die. I need my kids to have this when I die. I need my wife to have this when I die. Um, this is what I want to see happen when I die. I would note that my career in estate planning started not because my papa died. I fell into this career because he lived. What if we started every appointment with, let me tell you why I'm here, because you need to know what my motivation is. And let's talk about happens when you live, because we should be planning to live and not planning to die. And then as far as requiring that collaboration, I, I worked and saw cases where lawyers were giving good advice to to. Um, maybe retitle assets to maybe sometimes not often, thank God, but sometimes to liquidate an asset or to sell an asset so that an overall estate plan, whether it was death planning or long term care planning, but so an estate plan could work. And here's what happened. The lawyer would say we need to do one, two and three. I need you to go do that because I can't do it for you. And then the client, who, by the way, is already in a crisis, because do you know what it takes to get a person into a lawyer's office to talk about the things that they own and their concerns when they die, their kids and their spouse? That takes an act of God, by the way. So that person now who already had something happening in their life, we are sending them out to go talk to their financial advisor to say why we need to retitle an asset or why we need to liquidate an asset. How do you think that advisor feels? Uh, uh, completely distrustful, um, uh, unsure of what's happening, that you know their livelihood is there. Is that really the right advice for their client because they don't know the whole purpose or the whole story? Um, and we're leaving the client to deal with that fallout and explain it properly. By golly, you got to say it just right because we told you in that meeting what you need to say. Aren't you a lawyer by now? Don't you know what to do? And, and just, I mean, you don't even have to go any further. Can you see just the, the, the stress that you're putting your client under, the disadvantages and the miscommunication between lawyers and advisors? 
And I saw people fall apart. I saw estate plans fall apart. And I saw relationships ruined, whether between a lawyer and advisor or a client and the lawyer or the client and the advisor. And that is not good practice. Even if your plan was perfect, even if it was the best thing for the client, that was not good practice. And so to me, when I created Lineage, my company, I literally, I I remember sitting with my husband at the kitchen table and I said, we have to do this different. And we have to, we have to own these relationships because people are coming to us in a crisis. Why don't we go back to the people that give them comfort and make sure that they understand why they came to us, what we recommend and why we recommend it and make sure that it's in line with the plan they already have in place. So we're not taking a client away. We're not taking assets away. We're trying to conserve. We're trying to improve. And we want to make sure that we are a part of that team, not replace the team, not take lead, but become a part of it. And what I found is that my clients celebrated that because they could finally come in and say, I can leave it to you. I can take my hands off of this because I know you're communicating and, and wow, it was great. And then on top of it, it made me a better lawyer to go to these advisors and say, okay, this is what I'm hearing. And they'd say, well, wait, you didn't hear about this other asset or did they tell you about the cousin down the road? I became a better lawyer because someone knew other information to share with me. And it became a just an outstanding practice, not only for my clients, but for me. And then having advisors know that my job is not just to protect my client, but to uplift what they have. Now I have advisors who trust me and understand that if there's an instance where I call and say, look, I've got to have a client get rid of an asset or liquidate an asset, but let me tell you why. They don't turn me off right away. I've opened the door to listening and adequate feedback. And that is the way it's supposed to be. I go back to the conversation that you had with your mama, as you put it. Mama. <laughs> I'll try to get that. I, I, you know, I've been in, I've been in Jacksonville, Florida now uh, 27 years, but I'm from New Jersey originally. So still getting to that, you know, that there's still, there's still a, there's still a piece of it over there, but it's, it's funny because the initial reaction is not about where we go. It's I'm asking you, what are we going to do? Because in order for you to do what you do and, and really let, I mean, let's face it. In order for an advisor to do what an advisor does, you have to get all of the information you can from the client. If you don't gather that information, if you don't have all of the information, you can't then design a plan. And so I love this whole concept of collaborating. And also, you know, you said you said something, and I, I think this is a really kind of a key point. If I'm an advisor out there and I'm listening to this, right? I think I would use this this particular sentence to say to my client, I would say, look, if you don't have enough money to live, it doesn't matter what happens to you when you die. That is a really powerful statement, you know, for an advisor to be able to share with their client and then bridge. Listen, I have a team of people that can come and surround you um, and and we can we can have this conversation from a planning perspective, because I think what happens and you can maybe speak to this too, Steph, but I think what happens a lot of clients when you talk about things like legacy or state planning, right? What immediately happens is maybe maybe some clients, maybe even some advisors kind of kind of shudder away from that because they think I'm not wealthy enough. I don't have enough money to do estate planning. Can, maybe, can you speak to that a little bit? So I, I'm going to 
point out a couple of things here. I, when Earlier when you were talking about what gets people in the door, I, I, I want to note that whether you're an advisor or a lawyer, there's a lot of people who capitalize on fear planning, right? So I, I, I have listened to usually they're very new insurance advisors, and I just want to go thump them on their nose when they look at somebody and go, you better make sure there's enough money for little Johnny when you die, because you know little Johnny's going to need to go play football or go to college, and you need this life insurance policy. We don't have to capitalize on their fear to do that. Rather, what you can do is say, hey, look, who are the people in your life? What are your goals? Let's talk about and, and do it positively and do it with joy. And, and I, that probably sounds so cheese puffery if, if that's an actual word. I, I mean, but, but tell me what got you here. Tell me what you're trying to achieve. And instead of me telling you about what happens when you die and whether or not little Johnny gets to go to college, Let's let's do some joy planning and not some fear planning. And and oh, my gosh, just you'll get better results. You'll have happier clients. And it's oh, my goodness, what a better experience for you, if not for your clients. And then when they come to you and say, well, I'm not wealthy enough. So I love that. I, I love that because then that the first question, what's the first question you would ask if somebody said, well, I'm not wealthy enough. What, what is what what would you ask if somebody was sitting in your office looking at you you know I, I, well coming from my perspective if somebody if somebody sat in front of me and said I'm not you know I'm not wealthy enough this becomes more about what you you know what you want this doesn't this doesn't come it's it's it, this is a conversation a question that I'm asking much like to what you just said which is it's really I'm gonna say to the to the client I'm not asking about what you want to do with specific assets. I'm asking a very open-ended question. What is it that you want? Right. right. That's what I would ask. Um, but I, you know, again, I think a lot of advisors get might, you know, they they might get kind of um, tripped up on that on that discussion because I, I think most people, I would think eight out of ten people would say that they would feel like I, I don't, I'm not wealthy enough for this discussion. I'm not worthy to have this discussion because I do not have enough stuff. I don't have enough things to talk about. And to your point, it's it's this is more about what the goals and objectives are. Right? You know, I always ask that. I, I would change the conversation. You know, maybe not say estate planning. I might, I might say legacy because I because what I will tell you is even if you don't have enough stuff, if you ask somebody a question like what what are your thoughts around your legacy? Right. Most people might have an answer for that. Right. More people would would think about that than then would think about like in a estate planning, because legacy speaks to a much larger thought process. What do I want to leave behind in this world that maybe doesn't even have to do with stuff? How do I want people to think about me when I'm gone? All of those things, I think, are incredibly important from an estate planning perspective, from a from a you know from any kind of planning perspective. How do I want to be viewed? How do I want what mark do I want to leave on this world? What is my legacy? That's a I think a, a better question to ask. But that's kind of how I would approach that discussion. I don't know if you have what you have to add to that. So when somebody comes to me and says I'm not wealthy enough, I always stop and say, What does that mean to you? Because how do you define wealth? What's the figure? So where, where, where do you draw the line of demarcation on wealth? So is it a million dollars? Is it five million dollars? Is it is it a hundred million? Where do you draw the line? What is wealth to you? 
and what type of assets create that wealth? And this is really important. That question is really important. Not only what is it to you, but what assets create that wealth? Is it land? Is it cash? Cash in hand or cash in a life insurance policy? Is it is it a vehicle? Is it an investment account? Um, is it an interest in a company? What creates that wealth for you? Because not all of those assets pass the same way. And, you know, advisors sometimes get lost in the loop of saying, well, it's beneficiary designated. Clients don't always know that there's a difference between beneficiary designated assets and other traditional assets. So I have had so many people tell me, I don't need to worry about this. I designated a beneficiary. And I follow it up with, that is wonderful. Let's talk about that in just a second. But you designated a beneficiary on what? Well, my life insurance policy. Okay, that's fabulous. Um, what about your retirement account? Yep, designated a beneficiary there. Wonderful. What about your checking account? Oh, well, I didn't designate a beneficiary there. Okay, you might be able to do that. You might want to talk to your personal banker if that's, you know, if you want those beneficiary designations. What about your house? Did you designate a beneficiary there? No, that's going to go to my wife. Okay, well, you have mentally designated a beneficiary, but did you sign a form? No, didn't do that. Okay, so we got we got something we might want to talk about there. Um, you know, what about your car? What about, hey, you know that investment account? Um, did you designate a beneficiary on that too? Because you might want to ask your advisor if you can. That's a really important conversation because that account might hold something with a beneficiary designation, but there might be other things in that account that don't have a beneficiary designation. Um, so when people come to me and say, I don't need to talk to you because I have a beneficiary designation, sometimes they don't know that there's these other things that, you know, don't funnel that way. And, and I think it's really, really important in every single state to let someone know that if you don't make a plan, if you don't write a will or do a trust or something along those lines, if you don't do that, your state has done that for you. Your state has written your will and you have the right to do something different. And for anyone who's listening to this, if you think your state did exactly what you want them to do, we have a remedial course that we need to go attend. All right. So if you don't do something, your state did it for you. And that's important. And then when you find out what is wealthy to them, then you come back and say, all right, what's wealthy to your kids? Do they hold the same values? Do they do they consider the $300,000 cash that you have to be considered wealth or is that pocket change? And, and let's talk about those beneficiary designations, by the way. Who did you designate? Did you designate your spouse? Okay, um, do we have a safety net in case your spouse is sick when you die? In case your spouse is in the nursing home? Did you designate a contingent? And if so, who? Oh, it's your kids. Okay, how old are your kids? Oh, they're minors. Well, maybe we should talk about how those babies receive. Um, or you have a kid that maybe is not very good with money or, or is in a bad marriage. Did you know that just the most basic planning 
can capture all of that and make everything that you have, whether it's a lot or a little, can make it all work better. You know, we're going to be in this world for a while, right? This this virtual engagement that you and I are undertaking right now. And I think we need to be prepared for that. And I think advisors in looking for ways, how do I grow a business in this in this environment? Well, from my perspective, it's about bringing thought leadership to the table, right? It's about developing and driving relationships with key people. And so this type of education, first of all, that at the end of it, that's what this is about. This is about helping people. Right. right. And I think if I'm an advisor out there and I'm, and I'm listening to this, I'm saying, look, well, can I call Stephanie? Maybe we can do some events together. Can I have, can, can, can Pinnacle and Stephanie help me build a, uh, a virtual presentation to prospect in the space? And these are all the kind of things where we think, you know, a leverage in our partnership will go. And that's, that's what we're trying to have everybody uh, understand in here. But what I will say also is that you can see from the dialogue, at least from my perspective, the way that you approach this discussion, which is so relational and so it's so welcoming, Stephanie. And that's what I think is missing, to be frank, totally candid. I mean, I'm, sometimes my transparency gets me in trouble. But in your profession, you know, that doesn't really exist a lot. It's not there. It's a very stodgy, uh, uncomfortable conversation in a lot of instances. And I hope that, I'll, you know, if there's attorneys out there that are listening to this. I hope that I didn't upset the apple cart there. But that's what I think, you know, we want people to understand. Like we we see this culturally as such a great fit for our firm because your approach and it can't be anything but because you go back to how personal it was, the reason why you got started in this direction, that relational aspect, I think, is so unique. And so when you think about um doing this type or having this type of engagement? Is it something, Stephanie, you talk about maybe doing these types of events with advisors, you know, bridging partnerships like that? Because I think that would be really valuable to the people out there. Listen, well, will Stephanie be willing to come in and speak to my clients or would she be willing to come in and speak to my environment, my network, my prospects? So maybe talk a little bit about that. Have you done some work like that with advisors in the past? I've done it in, in a number of ways. Uh, I've had advisors say, hey, look, I want to do a dinner. Can you come in? And I know the world's changed and maybe it's not like that anymore, but hopefully we go back to some sense of normalcy. But I, I've had advisors come in and say, hey, look, we've got people coming in. Will you just come stand there and talk and, and you know, kind of fill in some gaps? And, and I've done that. And if there are advisors who do that, I like steak. So I want to come for a steak dinner. Um, uh, but if you don't, I, one of my favorite advisors um, did, did, you know, quarterly meetings, kind of a rotation of clients through quarterly meetings. And, you know, one of the first questions, and I think it's very common these days is, hey, do you have a state plan? Do you have a will? Do you have your powers of attorney? Um, and clients always say, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And this particular advisor asked me one time, they were like, I don't want to waste your time, but I have these quarterly meetings. If I put you in the office in the back and you did your work all day, and if I had a client that had a question, um, could you be there to answer their question? If they permitted you to come in and say hello and explain what's the difference between a will and a trust, or hey, why do you need this power of attorney? Why is it so important? Could you be there just as a resource to answer their question? And I was, and I, I loved it. It was probably, um, the advisor loved it because not they didn't have to stop and list three names. They didn't have to, you know, say, well, let's see if we can get someone on the phone. I wasn't there to engage a client. 
I wasn't there to step on anyone's toes. I was just an available resource that said, hey, if you have a question, I'm right here. And there's no fee. I'm just here to talk to you to see, can I be of assistance to your client? And and it was beautiful. And of course, I got a ton of business off of that. But but the clients loved it. In fact, um, that particular advisor has people still calling saying, hey, I heard you used to have a lawyer available. Is that person still available? And we I'll call in and just say, yeah, I'm here. I blocked off my day. If I can't be there in person, uh, we can do a quick conference or a quick phone call. I'm right here. Please to answer questions. Um, that worked really, really well. I've had others that said I've talked to clients. They gave me the okay to share information with you. I'm going to send you what you have. Can you give me your commentary and just let me know? Do you think that this is a good plan? Do you think it could be updated? This is what I know. Um, and I love that because sometimes it's perfect. Sometimes it's exactly what they need. And I have, I have no problem writing and saying they have a great lawyer. Call that person, shake their hand, introduce yourself and, and tell them they did a great job. Other times I come back and say, well, look, what they have works, but I'm not sure if it works for where they are right now or if it's still what they want. So I have some questions. Can you ask these questions? Because it'll help you do a better job with what you're doing and um, make sure that what they have works. And other times I'll come back and say, look, either they have nothing or we have a disaster. Let's talk about some options here. Um, I love doing that work and being a part of it. And because my job is not just to give good legal advice, but if I'm having that conversation with the advisor, I'm lifting them up too. And that's really important because imagine how good that advisor looks when they can come in and say, hey, I had this reviewed and it was done at no cost to you. And it's great. Or, hey, I have a few questions. I want to make sure that it's doing exactly what you want. They're not giving legal advice. They're just asking better questions. And the answers to those questions have a direct impact on the investment and the advice that they're giving their client. So it's it's a beautiful relationship like that. It goes back to credibility by association, right? So if you're out there listening to that, think think about how this would look for you in your own practice and how we can pinnacle, we, we can then leverage our marketing capabilities and bring Stephanie in and build something that would be a way for you to kind of uh, grow your practice, grow your, your business and bring an incredible resource to your clients. I want to make one note out of respect to the advisors here. I really appreciate that they ask the questions at all. Like, do you have a will? Do you have a trust? I don't care if it's on a ch- check the box because that's something your company requires or not. But I also really appreciate their position where if a client says, well, who do you recommend? And and whether you give one name, you give three names, you give 10 names, the, the advisor, if they make that recommendation and then that lawyer takes too long or doesn't do a great job, it's not the lawyer who looks bad. It's the advisor. And, and that that weighs so heavily. And I so respect that for the advisors, because what what a conundrum. You need a client to do something. We know they need it. It has an impact on them financially. It has an impact on their family. And oh my gosh, if somebody lets you down, you made that recommendation. And so it always comes back on you. So these, these conversations where you start off just saying, let's ask some good questions. Let's check and see what you have. Boy, it puts the advisor in a great position as well because they're asking they're asking things that need to be asked, and then they're not under that pressure of looking bad if the client goes and gets a lawyer that they don't like. 
that's such a key point because it's an acknowledgement, right? We, we run into this because a lot of the advisors we work with, Stephanie, don't maybe not, they won't necessarily sell insurance as their primary means of revenue. We help them by bringing resources. We get the planning discussion going. A lot of advisors are fearful because especially if you're an advisor out there and your primary revenue sources is fee driven revenue from managed money, those clients, it's, it, you know, you're, you're, you're taking an enormous risk with the key revenue source for your business by introducing other parties into the relationship. And the fact that you acknowledge that, right. And that's something that we talk about a lot is that we understand, you know, we're in the business of evaluating risk, risk evaluation is messy. It's ugly. You know, we can't control, you know, every client is always like, Oh yeah, I'm perfectly healthy. And then they go out and capture medical records and we have to navigate through very uncomfortable conversations that most financial advisors don't want to engage you know, so just acknowledging the fact that we we are very protective of the advisor's relationship and how we approach this and we acknowledge it. And that's a key. I mean, I, you know, because I, I think, again, going back to some of what I've seen where there are other professionals that come to the table and they come to the table uh, in a more ego driven kind of mindset, which is I'm the most important person at this table. And so I'm not really mindful of what kind of, um, you know, what kind of effect this is going to have on you, your your client, or on your client's relationship with you, Mr. Advisor. So I think that's key. I, I think um, it just says a lot about how you approach the relationship, Stephanie, just the fact that you even identify and bring that up. And I think a lot of advisors that are out there listening to that, that's music to their ears because they recognize, number one, the most cherished thing they own is the relationship with their clients. And if we acknowledge that for Pinnacle, that's part of kind of this whole a discussion and idea of bringing strategic partnerships to the table. It's, it's, it's what's so exciting about, you know, building this with you, but the fact that you are, you're acknowledging that I think is a, it's a huge, huge asset. And the advisors um, will all acknowledge that because introducing somebody else into the client relationship is always a very tenuous activity for advisors who, who are driving their revenues from fees, especially, I mean, for all advisors, really for any of us, but uh, so anyway, I appreciate you, identifying that. But one of the other interesting things that we talked about, Stephanie, is your is your expertise in the arena of quadros. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of advisors, when you explain exactly what that is, what what is this discussion around quadro in marriage quadros, what does that actually mean? I think it's important for advisors to know because I think they'll go away from this going, wow, that is interesting. I'd like to learn more about that. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that piece of your practice. Absolutely. So I am a, a partner in, in a business where we do something called an in-marriage quadro. I would guess that most, if not all, of your advisors understand that a quadro is a qualified domestic relations order that they would typically see when their clients are getting a divorce. And it is used to divide retirement benefits between spouses, particularly ERISA retirement benefits, so like 401ks, 403bs, pensions, corporate pensions, those kind of things. But the law does not require that spouses get a divorce to use a quadro on those types of retirement accounts. Rather, married spouses can um, agree to, to transfer ownership pursuant to state law to transfer those retirement accounts between each other, which means that what was previously locked up, what was previously restricted, whether it was in amount or, or by age or subject to penalty if you accessed, 
is now with an in-marriage quadro able to be accessed and transferred to a preferred advisor um, so that that person, their person who knows their goals, who knows what their investment strategy is, who's maybe doing a better job with those investments, that's a huge asset that typically advisors couldn't touch until someone retired or divorced. Now, with an in-marriage quadro, your client can continue to work, remain married, hopefully happily, um, and use the quadro to access without penalty or restriction. So they can access all of it to take that particular retirement account and transfer it to their spouse and their preferred advisor for investment. Um, it's it's out there, it's real, and it works across the country. And, and the key there is it opens up planning opportunities, but they have to be the right type of planning. So just because you can doesn't mean you should. You should look at each client and see what's the benefit if they access their retirement and moved it to a personal advisor for investment. What's the goal? What's the benefit? And I'm going to tell you, a lot of the advisors out there that are hearing this are going to say that is an incredibly interesting idea. One of the things we're going to do, Stephanie, I I think I I talked to you about this. We we host a a series called Strategies Today, where we put our strategic partners and experts uh, in an environment like this that's an interactive Zoom environment. So I think what we'll do is we'll probably bridge some of this discussion into a strategies today session for our distribution where we can talk, you know, more in depth around quadros. Well, listen, Stephanie, I think number one, I'm not a guy that kind of will just say fluff comments to say them. I can't remember, you know, a time in the last, you know, eight to 10 years where I've been more excited about building a partnership with someone and being able to offer that to to our distribution and our financial institutions that we support. And I can't thank you enough for you participating, for you being engaged and really for who you are. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing is that you people really get to understand who you are and what you, what value you would bring to their clients and to their practice. So I want to really kind of thank you for just your time today and just your partnership and what this is going to build as we get in through the rest of this year and, you know, every I come away from every conversation with you feeling refreshed and excited. And, and so I just want to thank you for all of that. And I'm going to get to now the these three things about you. Number one, she is the shortest person in her family. She got all A's in law school, number two. And then she is the room mom for all her children's classes. So what what I'm going to say is true is number one, that you are the shortest person in your family. That's correct. I am. And then I am going to say that you are, number three, the room mom for your children's classes. So no, and I think I I did this wrong. I think I gave you two lies and a truth. Um, Oh, okay. Truth and a lie. Um, We got two lies and a truth. I am the shortest person in my family or the shortest woman in my family. Um, I I was born into a family of Amazon women. I am five foot eight. I am the only one under six foot. Okay. Which, by the way, I can buy clothes off the rack. So there There you you have it. There you have it. So all A's in law school then is. 
I took a tax class having a blonde moment thinking I was going to learn how to file my own taxes. And boy, was I wrong. And I remember praying. My prayer life improved in that class. And I told God that if I would pass that class, I would never, ever, ever practice tax law. I should have been more specific on what I meant to pass, but I passed. <laughs> and I have kept up my end of the bargain because I felt like God kept up his end. Um and then I am never the room mom because one, that's a really big job. And I am the worst. Like, like I, I work so much and I call the teachers and I'm like, ask me last. If you can't get something, if you can't get a snack or a goodie or somebody to run something, call me last. And I'll, I'll always be there to catch it at the end. But please don't rely on me. I, my hair's on fire. So, well, listen, like I said earlier, Stephanie, thank you so much for your time, your partnership, everybody out there understand what kind of a resource this is going to be for your practice. And, you know, as we, we, we're going to be continuing to build on this. We, you'll, you'll be hearing about strategies today around the quadros. I know a lot of people have a lot of interest around that. Again, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart and from everybody here at Pinnacle, Stephanie, we're excited about the partnership and look forward to where we're going to go from here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Likewise, I just appreciate the opportunity to visit with you.